0: This is the Tennis Podcast, episode one hundred and six, and my name is Nick Amell. I'm Brandon. Brandon, can you believe Kanye West won the election last night? <laughs> oh,
1: is this, this going to come out on November fourth? What do you mean
0: is going to come out? We're live right oh, yeah, now. We're live
1: on November fourth. Yeah, I think I read today he has like one or two percent of the vote early voting, and the picture they used uh, for the article was a picture of him with his hand on his forehead, kind of like oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, yes, this episode is scheduled to release on Wednesday the 4th, the day after the US presidential election. However, I don't know if we're going to actually know the president like on the night of, like usual. It's funny that you
1: bring him up tonight because this, uh, tonight's list concerns Kanye West or or his, uh, or his...
0: The president of the United States.
1: Yeah, it's about presidents. Uh, it's not, it's about music.
0: Okay, well, before you tell us about the list, let's remind the folks at home what this show is all about. If you're new... One of us brings a top 10-ish list with some notes and hashtag fun facts and the other tries to guess in real time and Brandon has the list today. I don't know what the list is but real quick before we get to that list, we we're just talking about the election. I want to give a quick plug here at the top that over this past weekend, we did release our newest bonus episode which was the life and times of maybe current president, maybe ex-president Donald Trump.
1: Maybe uh, a resident th- of Russia, or China. maybe expatriate Donald Trump, yeah.
0: We did the heavy lifting to find the best dirt, fun facts, unbelievable quotes and most importantly the hot takes on Donald Trump and you can listen right now at patreon.com slash pod. So, with that business out of the way, tell me about your list. Tonight,
1: we're going to talk about Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums. You're going to have to guess uh,
0: uh, you know, all okay.
1: 500 greatest albums.
0: <laughs> awesome. the most
1: amount of notes I've ever done.
0: No, it's not. Well, this is good because I happened to take the next week off of work so I think we are good to record. No, this is based
1: off of Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums. We're actually going to be talking about Rolling Stone's 10 Greatest Albums. Are you familiar with Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list?
0: Believe it or not, I am and I've seen it before. I mean, it's been a very long time Mm -hmm. but I have seen it before and if I recall, it came out like in 2005 or something like that, right? Originally published
1: in 2003. It was updated again in 2012 and updated once more recently in September of 2020.
0: Updated. Okay. And that is
1: the version where, yeah. So that's the version we're talking about tonight. The version that was just updated in September 2020. Now, this list, Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, is compiled based on weighted votes from selected rock musicians, critics, and music industry figures. And I thought it was interesting. He said that they're weighted votes. So some. Opinions are weighted to mean more than others naturally. And right,
0: but like it's just like on this show, my opinion's worth more than yours.
1: Who is a rock musician who is taking their time to weigh in, but their opinion is like weighted really low? <laughs> like Vanilla Ice, when Vanilla Ice weighs in, do they just he's a one on the scale of one to ten? Where like one to a thousand, he's a one. Yeah. Anyway, in two thousand three and two thousand twelve, those versions were predominantly. Uh, predominantly featured British and American music from the 1960s and 1970s, mostly white male rock musicians. Among the top 50, only 12 uh, entries were by non-white artists, none of whom were female. Only three albums by white women figured in the top 50. And as such, it was criticized for being male-dominated and that it was focused too much on Anglo-Americans predictable and weighted towards testosterone-fueled vintage rock.
0: Now, this could also apply to our show. (laughs) Anglo-Saxon white men. Yeah.
1: And my next bullet point was, so, after weighted towards testosterone-fueled vintage rock, my next bullet point was, which I do really like. (laughs) I do like that kind of music. So, I was into those versions. No, we got it.
0: You're a sexist, we know. Yeah. So, the 2020... Well documented. Well,
1: it is kind of interesting. This uh, new updated version could be a a hot button issue. It's um, a revised version of their 500 Greatest Albums, just published. This new survey has conducted with more than 300 musicians, critics and industry figures, including Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Billie Eilish, The Edge and I would imagine for something, you know...
0: So Beyonce. These are the people voting.
1: You're these saying? are some of the people, yeah, weighing in. Beyonce, Taylor okay, Swift, okay. Billy Eilish, and The Edge, and Stevie Nicks, probably weighing in towards the like, you know, the the side of equity and equality of recognizing women or uh, basically non-white men. And then on the other end, they included Gene Simmons, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that old Anglo-Saxon himself. Yeah. So yeah. Now, so the, now, when you say updated list. Yeah. Because the original list was 03 and they updated it September 2020. Mm-hmm. Did that mean that they like started from scratch and it's a brand new In list? In this list, they said or... they
1: did start from scratch. There are some similarities oh. to the old list.
0: Because I used to know Nevermind's position off the top of my head. It was number nine. Yeah. On the original list.
1: Yeah, it's there are some similarities but it definitely reflects a much broader scope of music and, and artists. Now, I, yeah. all, that to, That's all good. that to say, I don't necessarily agree with these rankings and not because of like, they're not deserving of, of credit or whatever. The
0: opinions worth more than musicians. Right. right. They're, sure.
1: they're just, trust me, I think you'll agree on some of these like, mm, maybe there's some better albums out there, but...
0: No. When they're doing the greatest, it's, you know, it's obviously very subjective but I assume it's a combination of, you know, the quality of the music on the album as well as the influence and impact on the industry, is that yeah. fair to say? I'm sure
1: popularity okay. has something to do something to do with that as well.
0: I'm going to guess that if I, because I recall, because again, I've seen this list. If I recall number one, what it was, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess it's not number one anymore because of some controversy about that person since the list. Well, uh, give, uh, give me your guess. Yeah, so number 1 I think used to be Thriller by Michael Jackson. It may have been I will tell you that it is
1: no longer in the top 10. Yeah, which I think is
0: unfair. I mean,
1: yeah, you'll see that there's some albums on here that it I feel like Thriller is a greater album than
0: but yeah, I mean, listen. We can all acknowledge that Michael Jackson has controversy around him. No matter what you believe, undoubtedly controversy around him. That does not mean that Thriller was not like undoubtedly one of the most important albums of all time, and one of the. It, I think it's still the best-selling album of all time ever. So I don't know. I think just your personal opinion. Some social, some social
1: justice might have been served in this list, but maybe yeah. there's some good ends. I'll I'll give you leave you with one more. I guess this isn't much of a, a tip, but it does kind of indicating you know the makeup of the of the 500 greatest albums. The Beatles have the most albums in the 2020 version with nine. I think that's probably true of the previous versions that they had the most albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Dylan has eight. Neil Young has seven. Kanye West and the Rolling Stones each have six. Led Zeppelin, Springsteen, and Bowie each have five. And Aretha Franklin, Radiohead, and the Who each have four.
0: Huh. Okay.
1: Uh, so, yeah. We are ready to talk about the top 10.
0: Okay. So, Thriller, I already said my piece, it's depth. It should be in the top definitely 10. Definitely should be in the top it's 10. It's not. Objectively. But yes, it should be. Is there any Michael Jackson in the top 10? There's not. What would be his next best album to you? Bad? Yeah, probably
1: bad. Yeah. And I want to say, I. so the full list is out there but... It's hard to just scroll through like a list of That's 500 right. and find. Oh, Michael Jackson's Thriller is number 12. Some of these I will be able to find kind of quickly. You you just may have it. You can do control yeah, F. Yeah, and it end up cutting like a few seconds of me searching off at the end.
0: Brandon, if you knew how many seconds I cut off of you talking in every episode. <laughs> if I You just need a soundboard of
1: me saying, yep, yep, you're right.
0: <laughs> sure. Nah.
1: <laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. I think I just gave you all the drops you need to create a virtual version of me.
0: hmm Well, I said in the last episode, I was trying to explore a scenario and you cut me off and told me to move the fuck on. <laughs> but the scenario was that I am both Nick and Brandon and I just layer on our voices, my voice as two voices. Don't you think that's a fun little scenario to explore?
1: God, it would be a sign of serious mental illness that you'd, <laughs> especially that you'd pull it off so convincingly. That would upset people <laughs> really... That, I think that's what would upset people so much is that there was no clue that it was two different people for so long. That would be very well, upsetting that you were that... Cr-
0: now, people don't know for sure. To be, that means I run your Twitter account too and... <laughs> to
1: be both crazy and very talented is, is a scary thing. Michael
0: Jackson could <laughs> detest. Yeah, thriller. <laughs> well, I said it earlier. If anyone's listened to our past music Mm episodes, you know I'm a big Nirvana guy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, is Nevermind still in the top 10? Nevermind is still in the top
1: 10. It's moved up to number six.
0: Good. Good. And that's another one where, yeah, I mean, there's just a few albums that most musicians could agree on are like, this is one of the most important albums that's ever been made. And Nevermind is one of those. So, I'm glad to see it's still in there.
1: Yeah. A a few of these albums I've re-listened to a few times just over the last week and Nevermind is something that's been with me for a long time, but I only now recently found out that after the release of Nevermind, all three members of Nirvana later dis- expressed dissatisfaction with the album's production for what they perceived as a commercial sound. You didn't know that? I guess I had never heard that they like he was really un- dissatisfied with the sound. In fact, I thought that Man, they had worked like- for that uh, specific sound, but maybe I'd confused it with something else. In fact, Kurt said... Well, that's like
0: part of the legend of the of the album is... Yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, go Kurt
1: ahead. said "And Come As You Are that looking back on the production of Nevermind, I'm embarrassed by it now. It's closer to a Motley Crue record than it is a punk rock record. And I do recognize that quote is when he says it's closer to a Motley Crue record than a punk rock record, I can tell in the sound what he's talking about.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's too harsh on himself, first of all. But that's why in utero, the next album, two years later, was so much more abrasive and not as commercially pleasing as Nevermind because Nirvana intentionally. Yeah, I wish I had
1: uh, the musical knowledge to describe what that difference is. It's why part of why I like listening to or or watching YouTube videos or listening to people who are talented about like speaking about music and they understand it is because I don't and to be able to explain mm -hmm. the difference and why it sounds maybe closer to a Motley Crue record than punk rock would be a pretty neat skill to have.
0: I have a recommendation for you. Butch Vig, the producer of the Nevermind mm-hmm. album. Uh, he, did, I saw it's been years now but I still remember he did a, a video of him on YouTube doing like a pretty in-depth interview in the sound studio going through like every song of Nevermind. And oh,
1: is it part of the classic album series? I'm not sure. Uh, VH1 did this series uh, on classic albums where the artists and in this case, it would probably be Butch Vig since the artist is deceased. Um, go through song by song and talk about they play like different uh, tracks or different reels like you get you can hear the vocals isolated or you can hear the
0: the yeah, guitar before they he, add an
1: effect yeah
0: it's exactly that it's worth watching if you're into the album yeah but i'll look for it also there, there's a lot of good little nuggets about the making of that album like i remember and i think butch fig the producer says it in that interview i just mentioned where he was begging kurt uh, who's the lead singer of Nirvana, to allow Butch to do some um, like double layering of the vocals uh, yeah, on the Uh songs. Dubbing, I saw that. And he wouldn't do it yeah, until dubbing. he found out yeah. that um, Lennon did it. Yeah, that's what Butch had to tell yeah. him. Like, yeah, Lennon did it. In fact, uh,
1: one of my notes here, um, Butch Vig said that uh, he played Lennon's Julia uh, during sessions. And also speaking of Michael Jackson earlier, Nevermind kicked Michael Jackson's dangerous off of the top of the billboard charts,
0: and that is sorry, I mean, you know me I could I could go on about nevermind all day, but that cannot be understated what you just said well, and it's hard for people to appreciate that now. What's the opposite of understating what's
1: let me undercut that now by telling you, do you know how long they stayed on the billboard chart at number one?
0: Not very long, one week, at
1: like do you yeah. know who
0: chopped them off? Garth Brooks, Rope in the Wind. Fucking, (laughs) God, what a dumbass name for an album, by the way, Roping the Wind. Fuck you, Garth Brooks. But also, okay, but what I want people to understand, especially people that weren't, well, you know, and I'm talking as someone who was not around at that time, but I've done an ungodly amount of research about this album and all that, but Nirvana was a nothing band. They were like a little indie band before Nevermind. It blew up out of nowhere and it knocked the number one artist in history or arguably in history, Michael Jackson off the billboard chart. Even if it's for one week, this band that came... Like, think about, you know, an indie band that, you know, is kind of big in your region but no one outside of your local area has heard of them. Nirvana was not much more than that at this time. And then for that band to knock off Taylor Swift off like the number one spot in the billboards out of nowhere, that's huge. So, Yeah, I wonder if it's... I, I, I don't, I don't
1: even know if it's even possible to do that now without without like MTV. And how important MTV is to or was to Mm -hmm. popular music culture. The last thing I wanted to mention about Nirvana, I realized this week as I was, I also re-listened to the last podcast series on Kurt Cobain. And they mentioned Frances, uh, Frances Bean Cobain, Kurt's Mm -hmm. daughter with Courtney Love. And I realized that she is 28 years old now. She is older than Kurt was when he died. Yep. Yeah, isn't that fucking
0: nuts? Kurt died at 27. You beat him. Uh, It's just interesting, yeah. It's weird that I'm older than him now, but we should stop because I am a fangirl for Nirvana, so I love Nevermind and I'm glad to see it's in the top 10.
1: You might cry. We don't need that. Guess another guess.
0: Okay, so when I'm guessing, I want people to understand. I'm not guessing what I think the best albums are. I'm guessing what I think Rolling Stone is going to put in their top 10. Black and Black by ac
1: It's not in the top ten. I'm not sure where that is.
0: Is there a shitty ass, you know, giddy giddy up in the sea or something? Garth Brooks album in the top ten?
1: No, no. There's no, no, nothing like that. Elvis. There's no Elvis. No, Elvis. Al, Elvis didn't okay. really make albums per se. They just crammed a lot of singles together.
0: Okay, well then the Beatles. Um, let's do uh, Abbey Road. Yeah,
1: so Abbey Road is the only one of the Beatles albums to appear in the top ten now. Uh, they oh, wow. used to okay. have, I think, multiple positions. I think Revolver and or Rubber Soul might have cracked the top ten in the past too. Let me guess the number. Sure, uh, two. That's no, number five.
0: Knew it. So Abbey
1: Road. There's not a whole lot we can add to the conversation about Abbey Road. It's gone on for of like fucking fifty. Yeah, 51 years now. It came out on Apple Records in 1969. It was recorded as the Beatles were breaking up. Something I wanted to point out, I feel really strongly about, is that Maxwell's Silver Hammer sucks. And I feel like it could be cut out of that album completely and the album would be better for it. Hot take. Well, I would love for someone to explain and to I me. I can't even picture this. It sucks. It's the silliest, goofiest shit. Anyway, uh, there's more three-part harmonies. On Abbey Road than any other Beatles album, which may add to kind of the effect. Uh, especially under, I think you can't appreciate Abbey Road, or you can't separate Abbey Road from the idea that it's their last album that they recorded. Like they recorded it yeah, as it really- a goodbye.
0: Uh huh. And you know more about the Beatles than I do, but they. My understanding is they were not getting along at that time. They were not talking to each other. Like no, when they from- weren't working in the studio.
1: After Sgt. Pepper's and kind of around the time that uh, Magical Mystery Tour was kind of packaged together, they just started to do their own separate things and then they would get together somewhat. But the White Album was for the most part recorded separately. It's kind of like moving back in with your parents after you've moved out at some point. Like you're not supposed to be together anymore. You work better apart. And Maybe this anyway, will become
0: a cool thing moving back in with your parents.
1: Yeah, now it's, it's like a necessary thing for survival for some people.
0: That was George Costanza by the way.
1: Anyway, the last thing I wanted to say about Abbey Road was the album cover.
0: I'm glad you said that. Mm-hmm. What?
1: <laughs> the album? Did you? No, because I was going
0: to talk about it later. Oh, okay. So, I'm glad you Well, the,
1: up. you know, it was famously taken on the crosswalk outside of Abbey Road Studios Maybe there's some of the people out there that still haven't heard about the connections to the Paul is Dead theory in the Abbey Road album cover. Are you aware of, of what each Beatle may represent on that cover? Mm-mm, no. So, you have it in your mind, right? And from right yeah. to left, because they're, they're walking from left to right across the cover. So, in front is John and he's dressed in a white suit, white shoes, uh, uh, white head to toe. So he could be seen as either representing God or a priest, or in Eastern religions, white is the color of mourning. Now, following him is Ringo, who's dressed in a black suit, uh, representing a congregation of mourners of like Western mourners, you know, where you wear black. Paul is the corpse, you know, because Paul is dead. He is in bare feet. He is the only beetle walking out of step. The other three are all walking. I don't know, whatever. They have the same leg facing forward. Paul's walking out of step with the other three and uh, George is in the back and he's wearing the, the Texas tuxedo, denim pants and denim shirt, dressed like a gravedigger. Or uh, denim, I found out, was, is also the color of mourning in Canada, which I guess is why it's also called the Canadian tuxedo.
0: Fucking Canadians.
1: Also, there is a Volkswagen bug in the background. And the license plate says, 28 if 28-if, because Paul would be 28 if he had survived the car crash. And Paul's carrying his cigarette in his non-dominant hand. Which means what? (laughs) I don't know. In actuality, Paul took his shoes off because his shoes were too tight and because it was the 60s, you would walk around on the street barefoot because you just wanted to be different.
0: Well, the album's way cooler. This way anyway. Yeah. Uh, and
1: also, Paul would have been 27 then if he had survived. He was 27 at the time, not 28. Also, he's still alive.
0: <laughs> Allegedly. So, the theory then, everything you just read to support that theory would be that the Beatles were knowingly... <laughs> giving clues like, on their album cover. Yeah. 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 That they lacked
1: the means to communicate to a wider, wide audience beyond these subtle clues.
0: All I know about the Paula's Dead theory is very little. I've never like done a deep dive in it. Is there any credence to it in your no, opinion? No, it's
1: just a lot of fun.
0: Okay. Well, what I was going to say about the album cover is mm, maybe the best album cover ever in my opinion.
1: It's so perfect. Well, you know, it doesn't have doesn't have the artist's name or the name of the album on it.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right.
1: And something that I read, uh, Lennon said something effective like, yeah, they knew who the fucking Beatles are. Like, they'll know who this <laughs> is. Don't worry about it.
0: Bigger than Jesus. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Which got him killed.
1: Yikes. Yeah, I guess eventually it did.
0: No, it did. Yeah. Remember the the assassin of John Lennon said that that was... When John Lennon... When he heard John Lennon said that, that's what first planted the seed in his mind to kill him. Little dickhead. So, who knows what thing you're going to say on this show that's going to plant a seed in someone's <laughs> planted head. Planted a lot of seeds. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, that's Abbey Road at number 5. In the top 10, is there a Beyoncé album? No. Good. Is there a Kanye album?
1: No. Kanye did have a pretty high ranking on one. It was um his highest ranking album was My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy at number 17. Aerosmith. No Aerosmith, no.
0: Pearl Jam. No. Kind of just doing random here. Taylor Swift, I don't think so but... No. The Eagles? No.
1: You're getting, you're making some better guesses though. Jimi Hendrix? No. Most of his albums weren't, weren't so good. Like I will say, so out of the ones that are left on here, one, two, at least four could be considered concept albums.
0: Is Pet Sounds on here?
1: Yes, Pet Sounds is number two.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I did not expect it that high.
1: I'm actually not surprised to see it that high. I feel like that is probably up there where it belongs. Yeah. So, Beach Boys Pet Sounds released on Capitol Records in 1966. Who's going to hear this shit? Beach Boys singer Mike Love asked the band's resident genius, Brian Wilson, in 1966, as Wilson played him the new songs he was working on. The ears of a dog. <laughs> Confronted with his bandmate's contempt, Brian Wilson made lemonade out of lemons. Ironically, Brian Wilson observed Mike's barb inspired the album's title. Mike Love is a huge fucking asshole. And that's well, the main point I wanted to make <laughs> about pet sounds. Rubber Soul. Which one is he? Mike Love is, he is the, the one, well, he always wears a hat because he's been balding since like 1964. Uh, he is the one who still owns the right to the Beach Boys name. So if the Beach Boys come to your town, don't buy a ticket. It's fucking Mike Love and John Stamos on the drums. And Mike Love is a Trump lover, and Brian Wilson uh, thinks he's a horrible, terrible person. He said uh, he said something like, "I do not like
0: Mike." I looked up Mike Love on or Wikipedia. Mike Love, sorry. Yeah, and there's a quote that says, Mike Love is often regarded as a maligned figure in the group's history, a reputation he acknowledges. He said, quote, for those who believe that Brian walks on water, I will always be the Antichrist. Yeah,
1: he's not the Antichrist. He's a fucking asshole. <laughs> I also saw someone's joke about like, he's like, who's going to hear this shit? The ears of a dog. Like, why don't you just shut him and go over there and make that boom, boom, boom <laughs> in the background like you're <laughs> supposed to. <laughs> Uh, So, Rubber Soul (sighs) by the Beatles inspired Brian Wilson to create Pet Sounds, which ended up inspiring the Beatles to make Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Pet Sounds, vivid orchestration, elegant pacing, and thematic coherence uh, make this one of those albums that adds up to more than the sum of its parts. Uh, You know, the individual songs might not be like something that changes your life, but the whole thing as a thematic experience. Can and does. It's definitely one of my top albums. Uh, Brian Wilson made that album without the rest of the band. He only used them to flesh out the vocal arrangements. I noted this part because I think it's fun to, um, I think all of Brian Wilson's stories about drugs and, and having a bad mental state are super interesting. So after consuming a large dose of LSD, Brian Wilson had what he considered to be a very religious experience and claimed to have seen God. A week after his first LSD trip, he began suffering from auditory hallucinations, and the remainder of the year experienced considerable paranoia. In addition to his worsening mental state, uh, Wilson's drug habits exacerbated the strain on his recent marriage, the 18-year-old singer Marilyn Ravel. He believed LSD influenced the writing of Pet Sounds because it brought out some of the insecurities in me, which I think went into the music. He also attributed his greater sense of creative freedom to his use of marijuana. So, that is, I think, an important lesson to impart to kids. If you're in school band, if you're interested in music, if you want to make a career out of music, you should do a lot of drugs.
0: Yeah, LSD. Yes. Mm -hmm. I do a big scoop of LSD right before we hit record every episode.
1: I don't think, (laughs) you imagine it comes in like a goop, like uh, ice cream?
0: Yeah. Doesn't yours? Mhm. So that's Pet
1: Sounds at number 2.
0: I I've heard you talk about Pet Sounds a few times and I've actually never really heard it. Well, <laughs> so I'm sure it's great. The the only thing I think of Brian Wilson every time I hear his name is how he was very close to the Manson family.
1: Oh, that's it, that was his his brother uh Dennis Wilson.
0: Oh, was okay. an
1: acquaintance of someone who ran with the Manson family.
0: Okay. So, we got two Pet Sounds, five Abbey Road, six Mm Nevermind. Are there any boy bands in the top 10? No. Are there any more 90s albums? Oh, Radiohead's probably. OK Computer?
1: OK Computer is not in the top 10 and Radiohead's highest ranked album is Kid A at number 20.
0: Huh. Do you know where OK Computer is?
1: Uh... I don't. I would have to. uh, How long? Okay. Oh wait, it's number forty-two. That's low. I think. Is um, so you what you you had asked a moment ago. Were there any other '90s albums? Yes. Yes. There is one more album that was released in the '90s. However, Smash Mouth All Star. No. I would be Matchbox Twenty flabbergasted if you got this one. I would never have guessed this one to be in the top ten greatest albums on anybody's list. Ever, and it's not because okay, I think I've heard it's, of it, right? Yes, you've definitely you've definitely heard of it. I assume you've heard of it. It was a big album at the time, but it is this artist's only big album that I am aware of, uh, at least only big solo album that I'm aware of. And I never, I'm not crapping on the album. It sounds really good, but I just never would have guessed it was in the top ten.
0: Okay, well, give me a hint.
1: It's a female artist. This is a sol- her solo album, uh, but she was previously part of, or maybe even could sit, maybe she's the leader of another music group. Popular right around the exact same time in the late 90s, like 98.
0: I don't know. Uh, oh, um, so what's her name? Oh, God.
1: She started someone the one s- that
0: sings, I'm a bitch. No, I'm no, no, baby. not not. Uh, what's her name? Meredith Brooks. No, it's not. No, Mer- no, no. Uh, is that who that is? Yeah. I, think- I was thinking of... Uh, God, I know this person's name and I just, it's like right off, right behind my frontal lobe and I can't grab it. This artist. Alyssa something? Uh, Starts with an A maybe?
1: Thinking about Alanis Morissette?
0: Yes, that. No,
1: no, Alanis Morissette had, Alanis Morissette is not in the top 10, but no, it's not her. She wasn't part of another group. (sighs) Uh, This artist also was a star of Sister Act 2. She was in The Fugees.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I mean I might know. Lauren
1: Hill. The album is The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Nope. Like I said, I just have nothing against Lauren Hill or that album. I listened to it. For the first time I listened to the whole thing all the way through. It's not bad. She's a great rapper. She's got a really good ear. The album sounds great, but I just never would have said, Yeah, it's a top ten album. But
0: that's just me. I don't know anything about her. What number is it?
1: It's number ten. And it's probably good that it gets I don't know, exposed to more people. It was released on Rough House, which is uh, part of Columbia Records in 1998. Lauryn Hill said, I wanted to write songs that lyrically move me and have the integrity of reggae and the knock of hip hop and the instrumentation of classic soul, the singer said of her debut album. And I will say, like, of all the things on that album that I took away from it was the instrumentation did sound like classic soul. Looked up some pictures of Lauren Hill since I haven't seen much of her since 1998. She's still doing stuff. She doesn't look like she is aged in 22 years.
0: Yeah, why, why isn't she still big if, if this album is so?
1: I don't know. I don't have a lot of notes on this because I, just something about, I know it's good, but I just couldn't figure out why it was top 10 great, like who it has influenced or... Okay. The lyrics touch upon uh, Hill's pregnancy and the turmoil within her former group, the Fugees along with themes of love and God. Critics praised the miseducation of Lauren Hill for her presentation of a woman's point of view on life and love, along with her artistic range. Yeah. And my last note was that I, I listened to it. It's good.
0: So, I don't know if I'm exposing myself and this is like common knowledge, but I didn't realize this. I know nothing about Lauren Hill or mm-hmm. the Fugees. Um I mean, I've heard both names and that's about it. But when you said Fujis, I was thinking like F-U-J-I. Oh, no. But it's... It's actually short for Refugees. Did you know that? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: well, it's kind of neat. Fuji-la. Okay, is there any other rap or hip-hop albums in the top 10? No. (sighs) They're country. No. Okay, what about Pink Floyd?
1: No, no, there's no Pink Floyd in the top 10, which is kind of surprising too. Led Zeppelin. No Zeppelin. In fact, I think Pink Floyd was kicked out of like the top 20 or something. Which just makes me think this is. Let's list this. Yeah, I don't know about this bullshit. List.
0: Well, never mind. Ty. So maybe I do like the list. Uh, okay. Uh, hmm. So we're out. We're done with the '90s, then, right? Yeah. No
1: other albums in the '90s, and no other al- albums more recent than the '90s. Okay. Let's see. '70s, 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 '80s, '70s. All '70s except for one.
0: Guns and Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Nope. Really? Okay. I'll bet that's high though.
1: Probably is. I don't think it's in the top 50, but it's definitely in there somewhere. So Pink Floyd's highest ranked album, <laughs> The Dark Side of the Moon, fell to f- number 55.
0: I don't know about that.
1: Just above number 56, Liz Fair Exit in Guy Exile in Guyville.
0: Oh, of course.
1: Now, like this <laughs> it almost makes me angry. <laughs> anyway, it's number Pink Floyd's number 55 now. Football is back in full swing. You may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. There's that word again, action, getting you all hot and bothered about Bet Online. All the action you can get. Bet Online's going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on that action with every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more opportunities to wager that action than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day scratch that action itch head to bet online today and take advantage of all of those great signup bonuses don't forget use promo code bluewire at betonline.ag that's bluewire all one word bet online your online sports book experts
0: all right there's got to be some heavy hitters i'm forgetting
1: In... okay so if elvis Is the king of rock and roll, and Michael Jackson is the prince of pop. Who would be the top of like folk music?
0: Folk music,
1: I think early 60s folk. I mean, the song isn't from the early 60s, but that's where you would recognize the artist.
0: I don't know. Uh,
1: Talking about Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, like a Rolling Stone, right? Do you know which album? It is listed in the top 10 at number
0: 9. I probably did know at some point, but I don't know anymore. I forgot. It's
1: Blood on the Tracks. This is okay. Bob Dylan's album and number 9? Yeah. Okay. Now, this is not my favorite Bob Dylan album. I don't think this is the greatest Bob Dylan album. Maybe I don't get Bob Dylan enough to know that why this is the greatest Bob Dylan album. But I think his earlier albums are probably greater. Anyway, Blood on the Tracks released... Columbia Records, 1975. It's Bob Dylan's 15th studio album. It initially received mixed reviews, as it did with me, continuing in 2020. It has subsequently been acclaimed as one of his greatest albums by both critics and fans. The songs have been linked to tensions in his, Dylan's personal life. And this is one of the things that annoys me about Bob Dylan, is he always acts like, I don't know, he just, can't, he can't be straight in any of his answers. You know, the songs are linked to the estrangement from his then-wife, Sarah. And one of their children, uh, The Wallflower's Jacob Dylan, he described the songs as his parents talking. Album is considered an extending example of the confessional singer-songwriter's craft, having been called the truest, most honest account of a love affair from tip to stern ever put down on magnetic tape.
0: Tip to stern? <laughs> yeah, except in
1: interviews, Bob Dylan denied that the songs on the album are autobiographical. So, like, people are like, oh, my God, it's the truest, most honest account of a love affair. And he's like, nah, I that I made it all up. He
0: f- well, he could also be lying. Yeah, I think he's just reason. a liar.
1: So, yeah, he denied that interpretation. He stated in a 1985 interview, a lot of people think that album pertained to me. It didn't pertain to me. I'm not going to make an album and lean on a marriage relationship.
0: Like, that's something to be ashamed
1: of. Yeah, and then he was told that the album was very popular by a radio interviewer the same year that it came out in 1975 and he said, a lot of people tell me they enjoy that album. It's hard for me to relate to that. I mean, people enjoying that type of pain, you know?
0: (laughs) Okay, fucking bar. You
1: fucking asshole. Then why the fuck did you record (laughs) it and put it out there? You thought people would be miserable listening to it? You're so full of shit.
0: I don't like that. Yes, he's
1: an amazing artist but like, can you not, can you cut the fucking shit, dude? Can you just say like, yeah, I put some of my heart and soul into that album and people connected to it. Does he always have to be this fucking aloof God who's smarter than everybody? Yeah. Sorry. I get a little bit irritated with the Bob Dylan worship. Like he is awesome, but he's also a a dickhead for not being able to just give some people honest answers to things that are really important and, and really like... That they really strongly relate to, which I thought was the whole reason of creating and releasing music, but uh, what the fuck do I know?
0: Well, when you're on your 15th album, it's just old hat for you. Yeah,
1: he's bored. Anyway. I thought of some other guesses while you were talking. Johnny Cash. No Johnny Cash in here, no.
0: Oh, I had another good one on the tip of my tongue.
1: These are hard. I'll admit the ones that are left on here are hard.
0: Uh, The Rolling Stones.
1: No, no Rolling Stones albums crack the top 10. The top ranked one is uh, 14, Exile on Main Street. Mm, Okay. The Who? No, The Who do not have any in the top 10 either.
0: The Clash, London Falling.
1: London Calling is uh, number 16. It used to be in the top 10, you're right.
0: The Sex Pistols.
1: No, no. No Bullocks, no Sex Pistols.
0: Are there any females left?
1: Yeah, there is a female solo artist and then there is a band led by a female vocalist.
0: Mariah Carey.
1: No, it's not Mariah Carey. I'll admit that the female artist and the album on here, neither of them I ever would have guessed. And again, I'll be frankly pretty shocked if you guess, guess it too. Madonna? No. Think more folky and older.
0: Aretha Franklin? Folky. I, I don't, I guess I don't get what folk is. Well, Think about
1: an acoustic guitar and lyrics that talk about like, you know, not going to war and loving each other and shit. Folk music talks about like to, uh, to common experiences and like, you know, poor people and people with nothing. Okay,
0: and you're saying a woman is doing that here?
1: Yeah. Well, I said it's in that van. I don't know that this... Uh, well, don't get too hung up on that part, okay? And I don't think you're going to guess it. Just start guessing some female artists. I'll get tell you if you're anywhere in the fucking ballpark.
0: Well, you said Stevie Nicks earlier, so Stevie Nicks?
1: Well, no, Stevie Nicks as a solo artist is not in the top 10. As a part of a band, okay. she may be.
0: All right, well, then I'm going to guess Stevie Nicks is part of
1: a band. Do you not know what band Stevie Nicks is part of? You might be fucking <sighs> disqualified from guessing this list if you don't.
0: Stevie Nicks band, I don't
1: Fleetwood Mac.
0: Yeah, that, yep.
1: Stevie Nicks was the lead singer for Fleetwood Mac. I guess he technically still is in the album. Do you know the album? Nope. Album is Rumors. No, it's all true. I'm going to guess
0: Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. It's all true. I'm going to edit it to make it sound like. Number seven
1: on the list. I love this album. It was released in Warner Brothers Records in 1977. So, with Rumors, Fleetwood Mac turned their private turmoil into gleaming melodic public art. The band's two couples, bassist John McVie and uh, Christine McVie, who were married, and then guitarist Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, who were not married, but still porking on the lowdown. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they, those two couples broke up during the recording sessions for the album. And as John McVie later told Rolling Stone about the atmosphere during the making of Rumors, he said, parties going on all over the house. Amazing. Terrifying. Huge amounts of illicit materials, yards and yards of this wretched stuff. Days and nights would just go on and on. It was cocaine. It was a, Who's that talking? That was bassist John McVie. So, or John McVie, I can't remember how you pronounce it. Yeah, they were just doing a bunch of coke in California in the late 1970s. And that is just what this album sounds like. It sounds like this gypsy woman doing cocaine in California in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Uh, there's a great episode of the podcast Song Exploder with Lindsey Buckingham uh, talking about how he wrote and put together Go Your Own Way, which I did not appreciate that song as much until I listened to that episode. Made me like the song a lot more. Rumors is the sixth best-selling album of all time. Huh. Now, your most recent exposure to Fleetwood Mac and Rumors might be, did you see the viral video recently of... The guy on the skateboard.
0: Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, There's and a, the guy and the Fleetwood Mac guy so recreated. The let video.
1: me explain for the folks to the folks at home. There's a, a viral video of a guy. I think he's in. He's somewhere in Los Angeles, and I found out later he's a former inmate. So he's out, and he's like kind of putting his life back together. And he's skateboarding on his way home and jam into the song Dreams by Fleetwood Mac and just casually drinking cranberry juice from a big ocean spray bottle while he yep. records himself with his phone and then he perfectly lip syncs some of the words to Dreams at the... Per- I don't know what it is about it. it may- he just looked like he was having such a chill time. Uh,
0: and, Isn't it funny the shit that goes viral?
1: <laughs> yeah. What I wanted to bring up was he gave... Ocean Spray, Three, like it has to be something like mm-hmm. $300 million worth of social media exposure. I swear to Christ, I've never been more thirsty for Cran Cherry Ocean Spray than I was after watching that and watching the videos that um like Mick Fleetwood has made and other people have made imitating yeah, or think building of, off think of those. how much
0: money Fleetwood Mac has made off sales of that song <laughs> since yeah, that.
1: Well, think of... So, Ocean Spray gave this guy... They gave him a truck full of cranberry juice. So he was riding the skateboard to get back and forth from work. So they gave him like, you know, a $30,000 truck full of cranberry juice, which is okay. But if they had any brains or balls, they would assign this guy to a multi-year sponsorship deal and they would have made more viral ads with this fucking skateboard dude.
0: What, What did you say they gave him?
1: They gave him like a new truck full of cranberry juice. Not like, you know, they're full of bottles of cranberry juice. They didn't ruin the new truck. (laughs) He opens it up (laughs) and cranberry juice just waves of it pour out on him. If they put together a multi-million dollar campaign, they could not get the level of exposure and goodwill that that dude gave them. They owe him so fucking much more than a truck full of cranberry juice. And like I said, if they had any brains, they would hire that guy. They would make more videos with him.
0: No, Maybe I, they, I guarantee you they will. You really don't think he's going to not make another video for them? I don't I'm gonna know. am going to give it time. I,
1: I think they're scared because he's like, he's like a former inmate who has a tattoo on the back of his head. I think mean, he's probably not what like the guy, those dudes stomping cranberries up in Maine, you think he, like, do you think when they're stomping those cranberries, they're thinking about, I think this guy would make a good representative, but he would. He made me so thirsty for cranberry juice. He was chugging away on it like that guy's never gonna get a urinary tract infection. He looks hydrated wh- as fuck.
0: why did he post it? I don't <laughs> so know. That's what I always think about well, with I these.
1: Went to, I found his Twitter profile. It was profile. A TikTok,
0: right? I don't know. I found it his Twitter or
1: something. T- I'm not on okay. TikTok but I found his Twitter or something and he's like trying to be positive every day like post like goofy shit.
0: If you type in cranberry on Google, cranberry juice guy is like the first suggested search. Idaho Falls man, TikTok. Yeah, it did start on TikTok. I'm gonna watch it again. His face is so, like, chill.
1: Yeah, he's very serene. And he seems very serene for someone who doesn't seem to be paying very much attention to where he's skateboarding. Which makes me think he's a really good skateboarder.
0: Well, that's great. Now, for a swift change of subject, I can't get behind Fleetwood Mac and Rumors because they spelled Rumors the British way with the U in there.
1: Well, they got some Brits in there. Hate that. You've got number 1, number 3, number 4 and number 8 remaining and there are some challenges ahead.
0: I have one more thing to say about cranberries. Do you know the best way to care for your cranberries, Brandon?
1: To shave them gently.
0: (laughs) To shave them gently with the best hygiene tool for the modern man, including cranberry juice guy. Who would you guess, Brandon? I want you to take just a guess in the dark of who could be the provider of the best hygiene tool for the modern man right now. Probably uh, this company called Manscaped. Manscaped and their ceramic blade and skin safe technology. Yeah. They will reduce your nicks and snags. Now, it's the only time in your life that you want to reduce your nicks, am I right? Uh The Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped is waterproof. Has an LED light on it. And they just released the Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. You laugh, but... It's
1: like a... Fi- I, like, I would love it if it's like a 500 megawatt light <laughs> You shine it on. Like you can't even open your eyes in the same room as your balls.
0: <laughs> well, that probably is a thing, not wanting to look at your own balls. But everyone, everyone in your life, including yourself, will love to look at your balls. Brandon loves to look at my balls because they're so smooth and cranberry clean. And that's because of Manscaped. I I have legit used the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. They sent me and Brandon a sample. Brandon has yet to pick up his, but when he does, he will agree with me that they have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the new and improved Lawnmower Performance Boxer Briefs, a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining, and some other liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver. Crop? (laughs) And Crop Reviver. Yeah, I think they're, they're talking about your crops like your pubic hair.
1: Like to condition them? Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, here, in fact, I'll tell you. The Crop Preserver is anti-chafing ball deodorant, which oh. ensures that your afternoon stroll doesn't end with your balls sticking to your leg or smelling like eggs. That's the oh line Oh my I'm God, God, smelling <laughs> like eggs? <laughs> the Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with the soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts. That will give your testes a boost. Now, for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts: the shed travel bag at $39 value, and the patented high performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. And did you know, Brandon? You're getting your balls more for Christmas than I'm getting my kids. Uh well, Manscaped makes it easy and affordable because our listeners right now can get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code 10-ish. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code 10ISH at manscaped.com. And they want me to read it a few more times. So, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code 10-ish. It's time to give your testes the absolute besties. That's your cue to laugh. Did they write that? Yes. I'm reading. <laughs> this has all been almost verbatim <laughs> okay. of what they said. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to give your testes the absolute besties with Manscaped. There. I did it. Now, let's get back to the guessing. <laughs> Treat your meat. Well, I should actually, I shouldn't assume you don't want to continue talking about my clean-shaven balls for a little bit longer. Do you no, want to continue talking I'm about ready. my balls or should we go back?
1: I'm okay. ready for another guess.
0: Billy Idol. No. Billy Joel. No. Elton John.
1: No. Think Blinder. Stevie, <laughs> Stevie Wonder. <laughs> yeah, Stevie Wonder has the number four spot. Do you know which album? No clue. Songs in the Key of Life.
0: Oh, that's the one I was just about to say.
1: Well, I know you don't know this album, but I do think you should listen to it. It is a really good, really fun album. You will recognize some of the songs on the album. It was released, let me try that again. It was released on Tamla, which is a division of Motown Records, 1976. So, in 1974, Stevie Wonder was one of the most successful figures in pop music. His previous albums, uh, Talking Book, Intervisions, and Fulfillingness, uh, Fulfillingness first finale were all back-to-back critical successes. But by the end of 1975, Stevie Wonder was seriously considering quitting the music industry. He wanted to emigrate to Ghana to work with handicapped children. He was going to quit at the height of his game and work with handicapped kids. He started planning a farewell concert. It was, he's done. He's going to say, I'm out. And he changed his mind and he signed a new contract with Motown on August 5th, 1975. And it outlined a seven-year, seven-album, $37 million deal with full artistic control. At the time, it was the largest recording deal in history. The next album he made was Songs in the Key of Life. It was released as a double LP. That's a double album with a four-song bonus EP. He released a... Shitload load of music and it de- music it debuted at number 1 the Billboard Pop Albums chart becoming only the third album to achieve that feat and it was the first by an American artist at the time Elton John said of Songs in the Key of Life let me put it this way wherever i go in the world i always take a copy of Songs in the Key of Life for me it's the best album ever made and i'm always left in awe after i listen to it and Prince called it the best album
0: ever recorded Oh, Prince, that's who I should have guessed. Yeah, so are some of his big hits, well, obviously some of his big hits are on there, is uh, Superstition on there?
1: No, it's on an earlier album. You probably wouldn't immediately recognize like the singles off of it. It just has a very consistent thematic sound throughout and it's all really good. Um, You would recognize the song I Wish. Uh, the sample from I Wish is the song that is was the one used in Will Smith's Wild Wild West. Uh, <laughs> the song Sir Duke, you may not recognize the title of it, but I know you would recognize the song itself. If there was one album I could see like performed live in concert, it would it would probably be this one.
0: How old is old you Wonder these days?
1: He's not young.
0: He's 70. He's actually younger than I thought. I thought he'd be like 78 or something.
1: Nope that's songs in the key of life is number four
0: you know he could have still gone back to africa after this
1: Yeah, well no he signed a contract he still owed them six more records within six huh. years i guess he could have made them from africa but it's a little harder to get to a good studio in the middle of ghana taking shots at ghana just guessing that they don't have the same studio setup that they do in like los angeles but just a guess I'm thinking. Now, someone you, you just said, I should have guessed that. Prince. Prince. Tell me the Prince album. Number, number eight. Prince is number eight. Which album is number Knew eight?
0: Knew it. Oh.
1: Purple Rain? It is Purple Rain. Purple Rain, number eight. Knew it. On the list. And I, I really did know it. I'd agree with this placement. It was released uh Warner Brothers Records 1984. In 1986, Prince told Ebony Magazine, I think Purple Rain is the most avant-garde purple thing I've ever done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> purple.
1: At one time, Prince had the number one song, album, and movie in North America. What year was that? And that time, I guess, would have been 1984. Oh, okay. Yeah, the song was Purple Rain, the album Purple Rain, movie Purple Rain. Mm -hmm. But Purple Rain was so much more than a huge movie soundtrack, it was a testament to Prince's dream of creating a utopian top 40, a place where funk, psychedelia, heavy metal shredding, huge ballads, and daring experimentalism could coexist. Listening to Purple Rain now, it's kind of like a Beatles album, keyboardist Matt Fink of the Revolution told Rolling Stone shortly after Prince's death in 2016. Every song is just so brilliant in its own way, all so unique and different. The director of Purple Rain, Albert Magnoli, he said, Prince, I got a montage sequence and I need a good song to back it up. The next day, Prince came in with When Doves Cry, which was his first, became his first number one single. It like, hey, I need a song for this montage sequence. He went away and what he came back with was a number one single. <laughs> The
0: title It track, must be nice to be... I wonder what it's like to be talented at something.
1: <laughs> to be... Well, I mean, there's talented and then there's like Prince level talented, which uh, makes... Yeah, right. Which makes talented people look like fucking idiots. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it before, that video of them playing While My Guitar Gently Weeps and he makes Tom Petty look like a fucking baby.
0: Tom Petty is a baby anyway. That's <laughs> a whole other thing.
1: He's a dead baby.
0: Well, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Brandon. He is.
1: Not alive. Well,
0: I know he is, but, but just okay.
1: Did you know the title track of Purple Rain? Purple Rain? Did you know Purple Rain was recorded live at Prince's hometown club First Avenue in Minneapolis? Except uh, the strings and overdubs were added later in the studio. Yeah, Purple Rain, as you hear it in that single, was performed live.
0: Huh, I did not know that.
1: And I didn't know this. It was inspired by Bob Seger, of all people. When Prince was Hmm. touring behind the album 1999 in 1983, Bob Seger was playing many of the same markets. Prince didn't understand the Midwestern rocker's appeal, but he decided to try writing a ballad in the Bob Seger mode. And what came out was Purple Rain. So thanks, Bob Seger. Yeah. You just reminded me of another guest. Turned into Purple Rings. Bob Seger is not in the top 10.
0: No, not that. Something else. That's it.
1: That's As it. For Prince, Prince, Yeah. Damn. So the neck the last. I'm telling you, number three. You're never gonna get it.
0: You ain't never gonna get it. Uh. Well, obviously, this isn't gonna be one or three. So, but at the beginning, I could have and should have guessed Metallica. You know, maybe. No, I don't, Justice even, see, or... I don't even
1: think there's Metallica in the top fifty.
0: Um. Okay. So you three is the one I'll never get. Yep. But one I should get. Right. If I think about it.
1: One, you probably, I mean, I know you know the artist but I don't know that you, my guess is that you don't know the album either.
0: So, it's not an album like Thriller that anybody could name?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I know you know the main song from it, the title song from it is famous but the rest of the album doesn't have any other hits on it and to be honest, I've listened to the full album and I don't think the the whole album is up to like the one hits.
0: To Sidekick Co standards? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Give me the decade of the artist. Uh, Both of, of these the are 70s. 70s. Is number one a rock album?
1: No. It is Pop? a soul album.
0: Soul. Hmm.
1: Can I give you maybe one of the stupidest clues I've ever given?
0: That is a tall order coming from you, but sure.
1: Martin Homosexual.
0: Marvin Gaye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was- you were right, that was the stupidest clue you it ever It was really stupid,
1: made. wasn't it? But it worked. Yeah, it's Marvin Gaye, do you know what the album is?
0: You know what, Brandon? If there were a trillion guns pointed at my head you, and a quadrillion dollars on the line, I could not You'd just so cry
1: no, and ask them, please give you a clue. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And they'd say the evil dictator or whoever would say Martin homosexual. (laughs) So uh, it's what
1: the hit song and the album are. What's going on? What's going on? Is number one on the list? Uh huh. It's the greatest album of all time. Nope. It was released on Motown Records in 1971. It was written in May of 1961 by Obie Benson, who is the Four Tops bass singer. He wrote What's Going On with Motown lyricist Al Cleveland. And he was trying to capture the pain and confusion in the late 1960s, uh, watching TV coverage of hundreds of club-wielding cops break up a protest in Berkeley. So, you can already kind of tell what like was on the Rolling Stone writers' minds when they made up their minds that what's going on would be number mm-hmm. one. There's Very relevant to 2020 news and 2020 um, worries in the world. The Four Tops and Joan Baez were not interested in recording it, but Marvin Gaye was. The song became a hit, and then Motown Records founder Barry Gordy told Marvin Gaye that he had um, one month to create an album to accompany the song. Marvin Gaye told the Detroit Free Press, I work best under, best under pressure and when I'm depressed. The world's never been as depressing as it is right now. Ugh, I mean, he should have made it till yeah, now. Yeah, I was about to say he should come
0: to 2020. <laughs> he
1: says, we're killing the planet, killing our young men in the streets and going to war around the world. Human rights. That's the theme. So yeah, it, definitely a prescient message. Uh, in the album. Yeah. Definitely relevant now. I just don't think like musically, I don't know that it's still the greatest. But I'm not sure that what's going on is in my personal top 10, but I did like it. One cool thing about it is each song flows into the next really well. And then I got bored of the notes about uh, what's going on and wanted to know, do you have a favorite DuckTales episode?
0: Uh, season 4, episode 2.
1: You don't know anything about DuckTales. I know what it is. I like the one where they get the stopwatch that freezes time.
0: The fuck are you talking about?
1: I just, uh, uh, spicing this up because what's going on is not a very interesting album to me.
0: Well, what is interesting is when you talked about Martin Homosexual, I pulled up his Wikipedia page. Did you know that he was killed the day before his 45th birthday by his father? Yep. Marvin Gaye Sr.
1: Yeah, he was was, a preacher.
0: Yeah, they got into an argument. (laughs) I should kill you. Don't do it. (laughs)
1: And then you lost that argument.
0: Can you imagine... Just, I don't know. Getting into an argument with your own son and your own father that escalates to the point that you pull out a gun, period. Much less shoot it twice. Uh, so, Gay Senior was initially charged with first-degree murder, but the charges were reduced to voluntary manslaughter following a diagnosis of a brain tumor. Huh. Wow. He was given a six-year sentence and probation. Suspended six-year sentence. Damn. So... The Gay family just it sucked all around for everybody.
1: Hmm. It's a bad time, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, that's Marvin Gaye, number one. Number one. The greatest album. So, I just need three. This is this, yeah, so no, the solo female, right?
1: Number three is solo female. Think late 60s, early 70s. I'll oh, give you another name. clue. The girl in California with golden flowers in her hair in the song Going to California by Led Zeppelin was written about this artist. She is the quintessential late 60s, early 70s California girl. And I don't mean like surfing, I mean like fucking hippy dippy folk rock chick.
0: Are you thinking about Katy Perry with the song California Girls?
1: No, absolutely not.
0: Is it Janis Joplin? No, you're very close. In the same vein. Still alive? Yes. I'm trying to think of my decades.
1: She's currently 76 years old. Joan Jet? No, you're very close with the name though.
0: I'm close with the name, Joan.
1: Very close with the name Joan.
0: Is the first name of this person Joan?
1: It's very close to the word Joan. It's Joanie. Joanie. Macaroni.
0: <laughs> I knew it! I don't know who is Joni Mitchell. I don't fucking know who that is. Okay.
1: Well, she's a Canadian singer songwriter. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Joni Mitchell's album Blue is number three on the list. Some say that from its smoky, introspective cover to its wholly unguarded approach to songwriting, Blue is the first time any major rock or pop artist had opened up so fully producing what might be the ultimate breakup album and setting a still-unmatched standard for confessional poetry and pop music.
0: Well, they clearly haven't heard Taylor Swift's 19 breakup albums.
1: Right. Now, something else I was thinking about doing research on this was, well, never mind, cut that shit out. I, maybe don't cut it, I don't know. Well. When I was thinking about this, I somehow started thinking about Nunchucks.
0: Of course, as one does.
1: Are you supposed to whack the other guy in the face and the head with a nunchuck? What else would you do? You can also wrap the chain around an attacking weapon Hmm. to immobilize or disarm your opponent.
0: I think it's a versatile weapon in that way. You could also strangle someone with it.
1: Do you think Joni Mitchell has ever used or held? Do you think Joni Mitchell has even held a pair of nunchucks in her life?
0: Do you know the answer?
1: No, but I guess no.
0: (sighs) God, you've been, this is the weirdest you've been today on this show. Well,
1: trust me, it's the only thing that's going to spice up the notes about Blue because the fucking...
0: (laughs) Well, we don't have to read them. You can just leave it where it is. I'm fine with that. You want to just stop? Anyway, I
1: listened to it. It's a good album. Not in my top 10. Maybe Taylor Swift pulled some of her weighted vote to bump it up there to number three.
0: Listen, I guess I can't speak with authority because I haven't heard most of these albums in the top 10, but... Wouldn't you rather talk about nunchucks than an album you've never heard of? What's your favorite movie scene that involves nunchucks?
1: In the first Ninja Turtle movie when uh, Michelangelo and that foot soldier have like a nunchuck skill face-off.
0: That's mine too.
1: Kind of the only one, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Um, So, good times.
1: That is the Rolling Stone Top 10 Greatest Albums 2020 version. Would you like me to scroll through... Stroll through the top 10 one last time.
0: Yeah, and in fact, why don't you start at 20 just to give us oh, okay, a little broader scope here.
1: So starting at number 20 on Rolling Stone's greatest albums. 20 is Radiohead's Kid A. Number 19 is Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. Mm. Number 18, I think, is the better Bob Dylan album. Bob Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited. Number 17, Kanye West, My Beautiful, Dark, Twisted Fantasy. Number 16, The Clash, London Calling. Number 15, Public Enemy, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. Number 14, Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street. 13, Aretha Franklin, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Number 12, Michael Jackson, Thriller. Number 11, The Beatles, Revolver. Uh, Then number 10, Lauren Hill The Miseducation of Lauren Hill Number 9 Bob Dylan Blood on the Tracks Not autobiographical don't make that mistake Yeah Number 8 Prince and the Revolution Purple Rain Number 7 Fleetwood Mac Rumours Number 6 Nirvana Nevermind Number 5 The Beatles Abbey Road Number 4 Stevie Wonder Songs in the Key of Life Number 3 Joni Mitchell Blue Number two, the Beach Boys Pet Sounds and the number one greatest album of all time according to Rolling Stone in September 2020. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On?
0: Well, no, it's not according to Rolling Stone. It's according to artists, musicians, famous musicians that voted.
1: I have a feeling that the artists and musicians and industry types weighed in and then the the journalists at Rolling Stones were like, we cannot put Pink Floyd at the top again <laughs> <laughs> for the 17th year in a row. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I think Thriller should be in the top 10.
1: Yep. And I'm going to say Dark Side of the Moon should be in the top 10. Yeah, I think
0: that's a good one too. And probably something from Zeppelin too. Because Led Zeppelin's four. Yep. Oh, you know who we didn't fucking talk about? Queen. <laughs> oh, Queen? Queen needs to be... Bohemian Rhapsody needs to be in the top 10. For oh yeah, sure. I bet
1: like Jazz should be in the top 10. We basically just went back to saying like, I think the 2003 list is better.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: It's our Anglo-American view though.
0: Yeah, it's true. Well, I got more Anglo-American views for you with podcast reviews. The first one comes from Super Nerdy. I mean, it's got to be an Anglo-American, right? That's the username, Super Nerdy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he or she says on Apple Podcasts, do yourself a favor and hit subscribe. This show had me laughing from start to finish. Get ready to binge. (laughs) Do you think...
1: What? That's it. every night when my family goes to sleep and I open the pantry, that's what I say to myself.
0: <laughs> get ready to get binge. Ready to binge. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say get ready to binge and do please binge as long as you're healthy. If you if your brain is in a delicate state or you may or may not be on the verge of a mental breakdown, do not binge. Yeah, don't push it. I can't promise. Okay, so the next review comes from the hosts of the From the Men Who Stare at Screens podcast on Podchaser, they said. Tennis is a really funny show. That's really all there is to say. The hosts have great chemistry and the jokes are endless. Brandon, do you have endless jokes for us? I hope so. Damn right. Because we got to keep this shit going for decades to come. God, I wonder what the show will be like in 2042. We'll still be
1: bitching about Trump.
0: You'll be a skeleton by then. Anyway. Thanks for the reviews and if you want me to read your review on a future episode, just go to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com and write a review. Now, Brandon, this was a nice little escape from last month's Spooktober episodes and looking ahead to next week, I have the list for episode 107 mm-hmm. and I took to Twitter recently uh, and you can follow me at the Nickamel on Twitter and I asked people to help me choose my next list. The options were, f- so this is like the genre of list, food. Mm-hmm. History, Business or Naughty. Yeah, I voted for History. I thought you did, you fucking boring nerd. <laughs> and for each for each of these genres, I have a list in mind. So, like, if you chose food, I already knew which food list mm-hmm. I was going to do if you chose History. And 58% of the voters, the vast majority, chose Naughty. Yeah, they're all... And I'm just going to tell you... They're all corny. I got my Naughty list in mind uh-huh. and you're all gonna fucking regret that because we're gonna get really uncomfortable next <laughs> week brandon okay we're gonna get really uncomfortable we're gonna step outside your comfort we're zone.
1: we're gonna get the opposite of the uh manscaped lawnmower
0: <laughs> right that is perfect comfort for your very comfortable for your balls with promo code tennis at manscaped.com
1: next week your list is gonna make balls pull up into people's bodies
0: Yeah, well, and some people might not. Some people might like to keep their balls out for next week's topic if that's any hint. But yeah, plenty to look forward to this month and I guess we should wrap it up there. Thanks for listening and until next week when we make you regret ever hearing the name Tennis Podcast, we'll see you next time. That's a threat.